This is Dean Mathis, the Director of Capital Ministries, Michigan. Today, we're going to look at the conclusion of 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 21 and 22 with a little bit of back reference to verse 20, which we looked at last week. So we begin in verse 21, where he picks up with the imagery that he's been talking about, about the destruction of the world during the days of Noah because of the attempt on the part of the devil through demons to corrupt mankind to the point that God would destroy them. There was one man and his family, his three sons, that went against what was happening both in the world of of the demonic and also in the world of the people who responded to it. And uh, it talked about the fact that the people of that day were disobedient. And that's a very strong term, which meant that they were willfully against the plan of God. And so the corruption of mankind, which resulted in great wickedness, and also the Old Testament says that they it was a time of terrible violence. And so the demonic cohesion between mankind and uh, the devil's fallen angels, the demonic world, the evil world, was so thorough that it was perilously close to destroying all of mankind. But God was patient during that time and gave Noah and his three sons time to build the ark, and it took 120 years. It was a huge ship, bigger than the Queen Mary, and tests of that model of how the dimensions of the Ark show that it was capable of enduring the most violent of storms and waves, which it was going to have to, because since it was going to be afloat for about a year in some of the most violent episodes of Earth's history during the judgment of the Great Flood. But because of their faith in God, which saved them spiritually, they built the Ark, and the Ark saved them physically. It not only saved them physically, it also saved all of surface animal life, all the birds, all of the mammals, all the reptiles, all of the insects found a place to at least progenitors of each of those parts of the animal kingdom found a place to live on the ark. No doubt God put young pairs on the ark and uh, the ark, there was plenty of room on the ark for all the different kinds of animals, uh, birds and insects, so forth and reptiles. So Noah represents mankind at its best. Noah, first of all, got spiritually right with God through believing him. The Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah led his family to be believers. And then they obeyed God by doing what God said. And when they did what God said, it not only saved them, it saved animal life and it also spared the planet. So that's mankind at its best. The greatest ecologist that ever lived was Noah. And we all owe our existence to him and all of the world owes him a big debt of thanks. And we also owe a debt of thanks to God for his patience with us and his grace and his forgiveness of our sins. And then we also owe him the ultimate debt of gratitude for sending Jesus to die for all of those sins, past, present, and future on the cross. And so Jesus, during the time his body was in the tomb, went spiritually into the place of the dead made an announcement to the rebellious human beings and the demons that almost led to the destruction of mankind that they had failed because Jesus was now present and Jesus had now triumphed over sin on the cross and very quickly was soon going to be raised from the dead 
physically. And then Jesus took captivity captive, we're told in Ephesians. In other words, he emptied out the paradise section of death and carried it up to heaven. He concludes verse 20 by saying that eight people were brought safely through the water. Now, the word water there actually means the great flood. So he's going to introduce a topic that would be familiar to Jewish believers living in the first century prior to 70 AD. The flood now becomes a symbol of a term that the Bible Old Testament uses for times when God judges a nation by military conquest. A great flood was about to hit the Jewish people. and It would be the judgment of the destruction of the land of Palestine and the territories that the Jews had inhabited since the Babylonian captivity. And it would be the destruction of the Jewish homeland and the beginning of the expulsion of the Jews worldwide, which didn't begin to turn around and uh, there would be a return of Jews to Israel beginning at the early part of the 20th century and culminating in the creation of the Jewish state of Israel in 1948. So a very long period of time, Jews were to be without a national homeland. And uh, that was the great judgment that was coming because of the rejection of the Messiahship of Jesus by the people under the leadership of the spiritual leaders of the Jews, like the Pharisees, the priests, and the Sadducees. All right. So he said, corresponding to that, a type, It's it, the Greek word there is antitype, which means that it is the ark and the flood are now going to be used in a symbolic application to something that is going on right then and there in the lives of these Jewish believers. So corresponding to that, there's a great flood coming. Corresponding to that, you need a way to escape physically the judgment that's coming to the Jewish people. And the judgment that came to the Jewish people in 70 AD was indeed horrific. In the land of Palestine, where three and a half or so million Jews lived, a million and a half of them were killed during that awful period beginning in 64 and culminating in the destruction of much of the infrastructure, homeland, and the capital city of Jerusalem, destroyed in its entirety in the 70 AD invasion and siege of Rome against the Jewish people because of a revolt that started around 64 AD. Now, he said, that's coming. So corresponding to the way the ark saved Noah and his family from the flood, Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, he says, there is something that many of you Jewish believers need to do in order to protect yourselves physically from something that's about to happen in history. And that is you need to officially identify yourselves as believers in Christ by being obedient to Jesus Christ, and by being baptized. Now, he is clear to point out that baptism doesn't save spiritually. It says baptism saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh. Now, the flesh there is not talking about dirt off the physical body. The flesh is used in the biblical sense of the old sin nature. Baptism doesn't remove dirt from or sin from the old nature, which is spiritual salvation. But what the baptism is going to do is an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're saved by grace through faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But being obedient 
to identify ourselves clearly as believers in Jesus Christ and to follow him in obedience to the rite of baptism was one of the things that would protect them from that judgment. And as I stated last week in the Bible study, not a single Jewish Christian died in the 70 AD invasion and destruction of a Jewish homeland by the Romans. So that was going to be a very important act of obedience. And then he said it is also to give them a good conscience. He makes it clear in chapter 2 that he's writing to believers. These are Jewish people who have become believers in the Messiahship of Jesus. They had repented. They had changed their mind about what the Jewish leaders, the opposed to Jesus, had said about Jesus, that he did the miracles that he did by being demon-possessed, that he was just an ordinary guy or a charlatan. They changed their mind about that and said, no, he is the Son of God. He fulfilled biblical prophecy. He did die on the cross, and he did rise from the dead. They were believers. They were saved. But they weren't yet fully publicly identified with Jesus. Many of them had not done that. And today, even among Jewish people, they become believers, some of them do, and then they postpone baptism because it's going to mean a rupture with them. And first of all, they're Jewish families and oftentimes they're Jewish friends. And so that was even more pronounced in the first century world. He says, you have a bad conscience about that. You, you haven't really followed the Lord. You haven't really expressed your love for him by being obedient to him. Now, remember, Jesus commanded that the disciples go out and proclaim the gospel worldwide. And one of the things you do when a person believes in the gospel is that he professes his faith in Christ through the rite of baptism. He's demonstrating something. Baptism, of course, is a Greek word, not an English word. And it describes how to do something. And it's a verb, not a noun. And so the literal meaning of baptism is immersion. And so immersion is a perfect picture of death, burial, and resurrection. And so just like Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River to identify with us, we are baptized after we believe in him to identify with him. Okay, so what he is saying here is the same thing he said in Acts 2.28 when he told the Jewish crowd to separate themselves from that current generation by, first of all, repenting, that is, by believing in the Messiahship of Jesus, and then secondly, by being baptized. And that would separate them from that generation. That generation is the generation that rejected Jesus as Messiah. So that act would give them a good conscience and it would also protect them when that period of judgment came. Now, in verse 21, he points out another astounding fact about the completed work of Christ through his dying on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. Jesus now resurrected, is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven. All right, so Jesus, after being in the tomb, touching a three-day period, Jesus was put in the tomb on Friday afternoon, just prior to sundown on Saturday, which was the Sabbath. And so Jesus was in the tomb, touching Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Jesus didn't have to be in the tomb three full 24-hour days. In Jewish reckoning, part of a day is counted as a whole day. So Jesus was placed in the tomb on Friday before sundown. So he was he was crucified and buried on Friday. Then he was in the tomb on the Sabbath day. That's when the tomb was sealed. And then on Sunday, then at the end of the Sabbath, which came at the end of the day of Saturday, 
Jesus was still in the tomb into Sunday. And sometime after sundown on Sunday, probably after midnight, Jesus was risen from the dead. So he was in the tomb Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then he rose from the dead on Sunday. That's why Christians beginning in the first century began to worship the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and to proclaim the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and to fellowship together on the day he rose from the dead, which is Sunday. And so that's how the tradition shifted from Saturday to Sunday for the Christian community. Well, Jesus, after he rose from the dead physically, appeared many times during a 40-day period with the disciples. And we have those records in the Gospels, some of them very briefly and some of them a little more extensively, like in the Gospel of John. So he had a ministry to the disciples proving without a doubt that he was indeed risen from the dead spiritually as well as physically. And then they saw him go back into heaven. And the Holy Spirit then revealed to him that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God the Father, which demonstrates that he is co-equal with God. He always was God, he is God, and he always will be God. But the God has now has a human aspect to it in that Christ was fully human. So he's at the right hand of God having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and the powers had been subjected to him. So Jesus had triumphed over everything the devil had already done to destroy mankind. The devil tempting Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and the fall happening. Jesus has triumphed over that sin. Jesus triumphed over the great sin of mankind prior to the flood by bringing Noah and his family through the flood by grace as Noah because Noah believed on him and obeyed God by building the ark. Now, because Jesus has fully obeyed God, has lived the perfect life, has willingly substituted himself for us according to the will of God and died on the cross for our sins. Peter makes it very clear that his death is sufficient for all sin, for all time, for all men, if they will receive it. He is now demonstrated sitting at the right hand of God, waiting the end of human history, which he will culminate. And he has authority over the angels, authorities and powers they are in subjection to him now there's still a great deal of rebellion against jesus in the world and that will continue until the end of human history there will be a great judgment yet coming on mankind because just like in the days of noah jesus said mankind will go into another period of deep wickedness and a repeat of what happened prior to the flood will happen again in one instance where the devil himself will impregnate a woman and that will be the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be the son of the devil and a woman, the human mother. So just like Jesus is the product of the virgin birth, the Antichrist will be the product of a diabolical unvirgin birth. And so that is yet to be played out in time-space history. If you've read the book of Revelation, there is a great deal of angelic and demonic activity. There's activity on the part of The holy angels, there's also the activity on the part of the demonic prior to the second coming of Christ. But one thing we need to know is that all things are now subjected to Jesus. He has triumphed over them all by his obedience and through his suffering. Now, the application being made here to these people is this. He has been encouraging them in their suffering to respond positively to God and to trust him for his grace and his power and his wisdom during those times. And just like Jesus triumphed over all sin and is now glorified through his suffering, 
so too will these believers and all believers of all time who have faith in Jesus Christ, they too will someday triumph over all that sin could have done to destroy them. And they will someday be living in victorious triumph and co-regency with Christ because by trusting in Jesus, his power, his work, and his grace is sufficient to cover our sins and make us also triumphant over all of the evil and negative things that can happen to us. Therefore, we should not be afraid, keying off on what we talked about last week. We can live fearless lives. We can live lives of courage and rejoicing. And we can also know that when we do things God's way, that we will have a good conscience. A good conscience is an important thing. The Holy Spirit is active in the world today, convicting men of sin, as Jesus said in the Gospel of John. And when we, first of all, get right with God through Christ by believing in Jesus, and then secondly, when we show our love for Christ by obeying the commandments of the New Testament, he's going to have more to say about that in chapter 4. We also have a good conscience, and we're not being convicted by the Holy Spirit about behaviors in our life that will not bring us victory. God wants us to live a whole and happy and joyful life. And that doesn't mean we will always have emotional joy about all things. And there will be times when we will be tested and tried and pushed and even brought almost to our limits. But nevertheless, if we'll be faithful and true to God and do it his way and live lives in accordance with the commands that he's given us, By his grace and power, we will have a clear conscience and we will also have tremendous victory. We will know it now in part and we will all know it in full, just as Jesus is now enjoying full victory in heavenly places. That's our destiny. What has happened to him in rejection and persecution may and often does happen to us. What has happened to him in triumph and glorification will also happen to us because he will give it to us. So that's why he's encouraging these people to go ahead and fully identify themselves as Christians, fully come out, so to speak, as believers in Jesus Christ, and then walk the walk that he will enable you to walk in order to benefit from all of the wonderful triumph over sin that Jesus has accomplished. And so doing it God's way always pays off. When we don't do it God's way, it's always a failure. May God richly bless you.